0: Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute, I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening.
1: I'm Emmy Lederman filling in for Mark. This week, I am joined by two other student journalists, Hadriana Lowenkron and J.D. Duggan. Hadriana is the editor-in-chief of The Daily Pennsylvanian at the University of Pennsylvania and JD is the city editor of the Minnesota Daily News at the University of Minnesota. Thank you both for coming and welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, it's very exciting to be here. Thank you so much. Of course, so my first question is, why did you decide to become a reporter and what do you find the most fulfilling about journalism?
2: I decided to become a opinion columnist my freshman spring and then realize what I liked more than commenting on news that was already broken was actually being the person to break that news for the community and hold the administration accountable and really be a transparent source for students, faculty, um, and staff.
0: Yeah, I also, I kind of just fell into it. I went to a community college before I started at the University of Minnesota, and I was always curious about you know what journalism was about when with my first byline i was like wow this is cool i got into it because i liked writing and now i find writing to be the most arduous aspect of journalism the most fulfilling part is just talking to people and learning things at the minnesota daily i have been on pretty much every beat covering the city covering our neighborhoods around the university i've just really enjoyed hearing people's stories hearing what they're happy about hearing what they're frustrated about and, and coming to understand people who might not be like me. It's been really fulfilling and exciting to just continue to learn.
1: And going off of that, I think sometimes it can be difficult to be both a student reporter and simultaneously a member of your college community. If you're assigned to report on sensitive topics that directly affect you and your peers, it can sometimes feel challenging and emotional. So how have you learned to manage this? Definitely.
2: I would say part of, uh, in my opinion, the hardest part of being a woman of color uh, and a reporter is feeling as though I carry the weight of the paper's kind of successes and failures in the Black community. And when news breaks that I feel hits me personally, or there's something involving race, I struggle between at times feeling that maybe I shouldn't be the one going through the mental gymnastics and compartmentalizing my feelings to do the work that needs to be done. But at the same time, do I want to leave it in the hands of other reporters who where I, then I don't feel that I'm in charge of, telling that narrative and so really there's a balance between you need to prioritize myself and my mental health especially when walter wallace jr was killed in october that was right blocks away from campus right and so penn sent out a statement and i had to kind of report on that and i really had to decide if going through the the trauma of having somebody from the black community killed and writing about that so that it could be as well written as possible and do the event justice if it was worth kind of going through the the mental health Health or having that affect my mental health. And so I think I had to tell myself at a time I, I can take a break and I can say no to an assignment if it feels like it's too much. But if I feel that I can do the piece justice, then, you know, I will do my best to do it. Yeah,
0: I think I would say I'm an advocate more on behalf of the community rather than maybe power structures or, or authority figures. And it's about balancing those voices, balancing that structure a little bit, and, and really focusing more on where the community's at. After Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd, we typically on City desks just cover a few neighborhoods around Minneapolis. And for the impact that had on the entire community, it would have been disingenuous to continue just focusing on these neighborhood issues. And it became just about how the whole city is responding. And I guess, there's been a lot of compartmentalizing that's happened throughout that, but it's a lot of just talking to people, hearing from people, um, empathizing with people as as much as I'm able to. Just moving forward through that. When we got the verdict just over a week ago now, it was like this weight that came off, even though there's still so much to do, it was just there there was a heavy load for almost a year. And I I think a lot of journalists along with a lot of community members felt that weight. just lift a little bit. And there was a bit of a sigh of relief that happened.
1: What have each of your roles been in covering racial justice, both on your campus and in your city at large over the past year or so? And what have you learned from these experiences?
2: Something that I have to struggle with, or or come to terms with, and I'm curious, JD, if this is something that you've also faced, is kind of balancing when I as an editor or even I as a reporter want to get a piece out speaking with the Penn community, speaking with communities of color, the West Philadelphia community on their reactions to events from the protests this summer to of course the continuation of police brutality really this entire year. Between me wanting to tell that story versus me respecting members of the community and knowing kind of when is the time to ask these difficult questions and not pouncing on them, right? The relationship between communities of color and, media, and the media industry has been tenuous for decades and, and even centuries, given the, the history of the, the industry. And so I'm wanting to give these communities the chance to share their voices and tell their stories But I also don't want them to feel that I'm using them, right, for the byline or for the story. And so I make sure in my own reporting and also when I'm training reporters and training editors that you can reach out and explain where you're coming from, what your goal is, that you want to help them tell the story. But you have to be okay to say, okay, I understand now is not the time right? So I think that is something that I definitely had to get used to, especially given that the quick turnaround, right, of the news cycle, especially now that we're in a more digital age, everyone wants to get something out. But at the same time, you have to take a step back, and, and these are people, right? These are This is a humanity issue. And so we have to respect the members of our community.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it's there's a timing aspect to it of sometimes people don't want to answer questions. Some wounds are, are too fresh, or it's just too hard of a time. And for me, it's been a lot about showing up even when I'm not there for a byline, um, showing up just to talk to people, just to show that I am here, I'm engaged, I care, even when there's nothing for me to get out of it. As an editor, I've tried pushing that same kind of mindset to reporters. I've said, show up to these meetings, show that you are a part of this community. Also, you're not just this journalist separated from the community. You are a member, being gracious. When people say they don't want to talk, that's completely fine. I understand that there was in George Floyd square where um, George Floyd was killed. It's kind of a a closed off Plaza almost at this point, there was a, a killing that happened there, I don't know, a month or two ago. And they, the group who kind of is in that area regularly. Put on instagram we're grieving please don't come here our desk was going to write a story about george floyd square and kind of its evolution over the past year we decided now not the time and eventually they posted we want we welcome people again and it was like we tried to go back in and help to tell that story and i, I think adriana you, you make a good point it's it's not it's not us telling the story it's us helping people to tell their own stories and really focusing it in that way not not following a specific narrative but following the narrative they're giving to you and really centering it around their voice.
1: Yeah. And going off of what you both said, we had a speaker or a podcast guest the other week, Graham Lee Brewer, who just got a job at NBC, but he was reporting on indigenous populations for a more local paper. And he talked a lot about how a lot of the press about those communities. It's about indigenous communities, but not for indigenous communities. And I think that what uh, JD said about showing up, even when you don't have a byline, paying attention to what the subjects of your stories actually need is what's gonna take you to that extra step and actually make sure that you're telling people's stories respectfully. So, Adriana and JD, what was the toughest decision that you've had to make in your position at the paper and how did you handle it
2: something that comes to mind actually involves the submission of guest columns and opinion content in general just because you're you, you run against the problem or, or the issue of when analyzing submissions obviously you want to be a platform for everyone to share their opinions but at what point with giving somebody a platform, isolate or overtly discriminate against another group, right? Or another group's beliefs. And so that is just a kind of an ever going process I have to deal with is I have to take myself back and kind of put my own opinions on halt for a second and first look to see are our opinions backed by sources and really is the opinion itself something that is discriminatory, racially, gender-wise? And so that that's always kind of been an area where I'm not trying to censor groups. I'm not trying to um, make one platform specifically for X type of beliefs, right? But you, you do have to take into account who the community is and what the purpose of the piece is. And if it's to make people think and share different perspectives, of course, that is something that needs to be done. But I think there's just, there have just been a lot of instances in which I've had to learn what is appropriate to go out and and what isn't appropriate. And so that's kind of an ongoing lesson that I have to learn. And each day, there's something new and it just involves a lot of discussion with my staff. And I think it's really great to have that community where you, I don't ever feel, even as editor-in-chief that it's my way or the highway or I have to make that that big decision and I can't discuss it with other people. And so I very much believe in having a round table and we kind of go around and discuss the ethics and the the, the potential consequences of of all of our content, really. Um, But it's definitely something that it's always a learning lesson.
0: Yeah, for me, that brings to mind just the concept of how we're balancing voices. As the Trump's most recent impeachment Trials were underway, the insurrection on January 6th had already happened, obviously, and a reporter on my desk, Samantha Woodward, was she was on the National Headlines beat, and she wanted to check in with college Republicans about how they were feeling and what they saw for the future of the Republican Party and just conservatives in general. Maybe expectedly, there were some conspiracies that came out, some completely unfounded conspiracies, and... So this is a piece that is about what students are thinking and what students' voices are. We had to make a decision of, okay, we're, we can't give people this kind of unfettered platform without also putting it next to the facts of what's happening. So when student said the, the election was rigged, we had to put in there, actually, this is, these are the facts of what happened. So there's a lot of that, of people are going to be saying things we have to, I check what they're saying. We can't just quote people on anything. There's also been the balance between like technical aspects of the the Chauvin trial with the humanity of what's happening. So we made a point as we were, we've been, we covered the Chauvin trial all throughout. Multiple reporters were pool reporters in the courtroom or in the media center near the courtroom. And for those, we were doing daily updates and just clear, here's exactly what happened in this case. So on the side, we were making sure to also go to events and talk to people and hear what people were saying, because we can't just talk about a murder trial without talking about the emotions behind it. What is What are events, if not a collection of people and emotions? And if we ignore those emotions, we're not being honest in telling the news. And so I think it was difficult to separate those things and but still maintain both of those things in different ways and after uh, a police officer shot dante wright in a nearby suburb we kind of had the decision of well is this our coverage this isn't our city but it was so intertwined with what was happening in our city how people were feeling in our community that we had to go there we had to
1: and obviously there is never a shortage of news in Philadelphia or in Minneapolis. How do you make sure that you're covering your bases? And how do you ensure to your audiences that people from all communities and backgrounds are adequately represented in your reporting? I think that there's always a concern in the
2: back of my mind. What am I missing today? Or, or what, are I, what am I not getting? <laughs> Just because of the, the sheer nature of our news cycle and all that's been going on I, I think that's something I'll never quite feel 1000% comfortable about. But I would say that what we use, a couple of things, we have an email account in which people are able to send us pitches all of uh people on staff have our numbers open to people so they know they can always kind of send us their own tips. And we're reading the news, we're reading our, our, our local publications and trying to figure out our pen angle. But I think what's really important is for our beat reporters specifically, we have a variety of beats ranging from housing and dining and, you know, identities and politics. And so they are expected to meet with their sources quite frequently, establish established relationship in which they can go to the sources and say, hey, anything new, what's coming down the pipeline? And uh, conversely, sources are able to reach out whenever certain events are coming up, et cetera. And so we're really, it's twofold. We're making sure that everyone knows who we are and more importantly, how to reach us, as well as generally what types of stories we tend to cover. If there's ever something that we don't cover, we try to explain why. And so we're, we try to be as transparent as possible in that sense. And we're also, again, reaching out proactively and trying to maintain good relationships with our sources. And that is, of course, always a work in progress. But we do try to instill the importance of making these connections and making the newspaper known as someone that is very available. It it shouldn't be this this higher entity where the, the community doesn't know how news gets told or how to even reach people. Right. So again, always a work in progress, but those are really our, our main goals.
0: Yeah. Covering our bases. The, if I look at what City Desk is or what the daily is today compared to six months ago, let alone a year and a half ago, so much has changed in the world with COVID and so much has changed in Minneapolis. We have multiple beat reporters whose beats have become so abstract in this time. We have neighborhoods and business and and all of these beats are so intertwined with with the racial reckoning that is happening in our city and worldwide with the covid pandemic that is closing businesses and just changing how everybody lives that has been one of my big worries is that we haven't really been able to cover some of the just basic things that we would usually cover but I don't know if those basic things really exist in the same way, or at least they haven't. I don't, know. I don't know if they ever will again in that same exact way. I've been in this newsroom for three years at this point, and I can't compare myself to the editors that came before me because they were reporting and leading in a different world than what I'm leading in. And the editors that come after me are going to be leading, reporting in a different world than I am in. And I, I think it's really easy to think feel like I'm not covering all the bases, but we've been trying. And that's, it's been you know back to what I said about just knowing where people are at and, and trying to show up to things as often as we can. You bring up an excellent point.
2: While it has kind of always been known how race and class and gender and all of these different identities interact with kind of every different area of life. If you're looking at politics or if you're looking at the criminal legal system or public health, I think one thing about this past year is that, at least on my end, it's trying to find a way to, to incorporate all of these things in our everyday beats, right? Even something as, as simple as housing and dining, right? We're looking at how much the university is spending on X housing plan or Y dining plan. And how does that impact students of color or students of certain financial backgrounds and how can we integrate that reporting so we're not just reporting in silos right and i think that is something that again as i had as i had mentioned before nothing in society has changed right this is not new information but i think that is something at least that i'm trying to to instill in our reporters is that you can everything involves race. Everything involves all of these different identities. And so how can we make our reporting more inclusive and really present the, the reality that we're living in to our readership?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And one thing I have tried to instill in our my reporters and also in my own reporting is who is this affecting? There it's really easy to talk to a council member and then the neighborhood organization president about this new housing policy that's gonna impact our area. But like, how is that gonna affect this, these specific students? And then being intentional about which students we're trying to reach or which activists we are talking to. What's the point of writing news if you're not gonna to talk to the people who are impacted by things?
1: It really sounds like you guys are making such an active effort to cover all your bases. And a lot of times, I, from my own experience, I would say that being part of a school newspaper kind of be, at a certain point becomes like synonymous with your personality and that wherever you go, you're thinking about what, how could this turn into a story, asking questions and noticing things that maybe your peers that aren't involved in journalism wouldn't notice. But I also know that sometimes it's important to separate your work at the paper from your personal life and to take time for yourself. So, and being an editor at the school paper is probably the most demanding job that you could sign up for in college. And sometimes, I don't know if people realize that. How would you say that you stay sane and and manage your mental health and what would be your best advice for people? that have these anxieties and may need to take a step back?
2: Well, I think one thing about the pandemic that has affected all industries is, of course, this blurring of the line between work and play or work and sleep or work and eating. I would say I have, we use Slack, right? And it's just the expectation is for everyone to be on Slack. 24 hours of the day, uh, seven days a week. And at what point is this detrimental to our mental health? And so it's difficult for sure, because I never want to be the person who is AWOL or doing something else when news is breaking right across the street. And so I, I try to set boundaries and I try to make sure my editors don't go to sleep too late at night, although I obviously can't control that. And there are some nights who are up later than others, but I think what's important to me is, and what I try to instill is you have to put in 100% when you can, so that when you can't, others are able to make up that for you, right? If you have a team where everyone is always putting in their all, then if something happens or you need a personal day or whatever it is, other people will be more than happy to make up for that. We're here for each other. And so it's, for me, it's personally knowing when enough is enough, right? When you need to you know, take that nap or when you need to delegate your work to other people. And then just from a, from a collective, from a teamwork standpoint, it's you're in this position for a reason and there are expectations. And so you have to meet those expectations, but that means that you have to also realize that the more you do, the more others are going to want to do to help you out when you're in a bind. It's, it's a big time commitment but it's so, so rewarding. I, I really can't express how rewarding it is. Even now, I don't have really the bylines at the Daily Pennsylvanian, but knowing that, for example, we just wrote a story on a local club and the breaking COVID guidelines. And it, was, it was very thorough, well-reported, and I just found out yesterday that the club actually shut down. And we've had stories you know, follow Penn not paying contracted dining workers and then a petition and now the dining workers are getting paid. So it, there's so much impact in the community that it's a few hours of missed sleep, right? It's the reward and the sacrifice. It all is worth it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I am a really poor example of that self-care and that stopping. As Adriana said, everything has kind of blurred. I work from the same desk that I then scroll on the internet on. I go on this quote unquote, stupid little walks with my girlfriend when we can, when it's nice out. It's been a long long winter in Minnesota. I push really hard for long periods of time. And then sometimes I just, I crash a little bit. And when I'm crashing, I play video games or I do something that will completely take my focus and be an escape for a little bit. I have a great support network and, and people who I spend time with, family and friends when I can, or even if it's just a phone call to grandma, things like that. It's just, it's been really hard with how much the lines have blurred. But like Adriana said, it is still very rewarding, even when it's exhausting, even when, you know, it's been a long day of class with reporting between classes and then writing the story after class or sitting in pre-COVID, sitting in the Minnesota daily office for five hours to edit stories. It's fun and it's rewarding and I'm excited for the future reporters at The Daily who will be able to go back into a newsroom and just be around people who become good friends.
1: And when you both move on to the next chapter of your lives and are no longer at your respective papers, what do you think that you'll miss most about being student journalists?
2: That's a great question. I think, well, for one, of course, the community at the paper. I've been involved in the paper since my first semester of my freshman year. And there's just so much talent and so much energy. And I'm actually fortunate enough to go into the office once a week now for our production nights. Um, obviously, I miss being in there several days a week for hours on end. But even just communicating over Slack or, or Zoom and trying to have social distance outdoor activities, everyone is, is fantastic and super passionate. So there's you know, that obvious thing. I will miss that a lot. But I think also just the relationships that I've made, the, the, the sheer intellect I've gained from speaking with student activists or certain professors or what's so great about being a reporter. You know, it's great being a beat reporter as well, because you develop these really close relationships with sources and you develop a lot of experience and and intellect on that beat. But I think being a general assignments reporter, when you're kind of just given anything, there's just so much to learn. And it's, to me, it's just the the learning aspect is something that I will miss. Obviously, that's something that I want to be a reporter in the future. And so I will still have that opportunity, but specifically learning so much about my peers at Penn, the faculty, it's really, it's incredible. Everyone is doing so much. Everyone is so accomplished and it's great to learn from them as well as, of course, giving communities and specifically uh, uh, marginalized communities the opportunity to share their stories, tell some of the stories that people wouldn't otherwise know, highlight people who people wouldn't otherwise speak to. So I think there's just so much that I'll miss and, and so much that hopefully I can take with me to being a reporter in the professional world. But I think that being a reporter here at Penn has been just an incredible experience. And I'm fortunate that I have a few more semesters left and don't graduate until next year. But it's been great so far. I don't
0: think I could say it any better. I'm on my way out at the daily, and it's very sad. Some of my now best friends I've met as a student journalist. And just so many very intelligent, very caring people. And just being able to be in a room with them where everybody's frantic and trying to figure things out and just giving their, giving their fullest efforts to something that they are passionate about in an environment like a college newsroom where the stakes are maybe still as high as any other professional newsroom, but it's. Just, we all understand where we're all at, and there's a humility that comes with it that is, maybe doesn't carry over into other more established newsrooms. Yeah, I just really miss being in a room with a ton of my friends who I'm also working with.
1: And there's something very euphoric about just putting your all into organizations on your campus and kind of being in a little bit of a bubble from the, we- the real world, and I know that when we go to our full-time jobs, it's not going to have that same kind of enthusiasm and energy all the time that you have working with people that you go to school with, and being able to experience kind of the simulation of a newsroom in your college experience, throughout your college experience.
0: Yeah, and I think there's something cool about how flexible a college newsroom can be. We can shift directions and kind of do whatever we want and in a way that other newsrooms probably wouldn't do so there's a lot more room for creativity and just taking kind of a different approach to news and and i think there i haven't been in other professional newsrooms nearly as much as i have at the minnesota daily but we have a lot of philosophical discussions about what journalism is and things like do we show an activist's face in protest photos or what are the ethical implications of that which we really Don't, unless they're a leader in the movement. And I think I'll miss having some of those deeper discussions about what journalism is and what it should be and what it could be. Not just this kind of objective, ethereal thing that just upholds white supremacy, but this thing that is actually a a driver for a better society. And
1: just being able to mold your agenda and and decide what is important and when you can take breaks and... Creating that camaraderie and, and that culture, I think, is like something so beautiful about a student newsroom. So what are some of your career goals and future ambitions? I really
2: just want to keep learning new things and, and having conversations and, and telling people stories and kind of whatever form that ends up being. I don't want to be too picky or too close-minded, but I think so much comes out of journalism, obviously. There's the writing and learning how to express your voice while also balancing the voices of the people with whom you're speaking. There's the reporting, right? And asking the difficult questions, following up when things don't make sense or when you've heard other other things from other sources. And then there's the pitching. There's going into society every day and looking around and what doesn't feel right? Or what's going on over here? Do, Do these people know about this? So all of these kind of life skills, in my opinion, can be applied to so many different fields, but I would love to continue in the field of journalism and we'll see where the the passion takes me.
0: I like that. I tend to throw a wide net and then kind of move from there. I'm actually kind of working on like a mini documentary right now for the first time. I've been freelancing intermittently for the last year. As a recent grad, it's typically suggested to move out of state, COVID has made it a lot harder to move out of state, let alone the fact that just so much is happening in the Twin Cities and a community that I care about that it does not feel like a good time to move. So I'm going to fumble my way around for a little bit and continue to freelance as much as I can and kind of see where it takes me. I just wrote a piece for The Intercept and I got an editor from Politico reached out to me about freelancing, which was really nice. So through the summer, just continuing that and just staying connected to the community and writing about what's important.
1: And my last question for you guys, we end um, the show every week with this. Is there a person or organization related to journalism that you are not affiliated with that you would like to salute for their work?
0: There is a local kind of activist-oriented news organization called Unicorn Riot, who does a lot of live streaming at protests. Nico is the head guy of that Seeing him and his response to flashbangs and tear gas, he is an absolute beast. And I I think they do great work for what their work is. And I think they do important work that is set against some of the, uh, the Star Tribune or things like that. I appreciate that we have an organization like that locally.
2: I would say I'm free pet. Free Press, which is an an advocacy group for media democracy reform, and I came across them in reading about their work for media reparations, essentially looking at the media industry's legacy of profiting from and participating in slavery and really calling on policies that Force organizations to look into past malpractices and how they might have harmed the communities of color they cover and really making amends to those communities. And so I've actually, you know, spoken with some people from them for a project that I'm working on. And it's just been so enlightening to hear the future for the future of the industry, specifically for journalists of color, and really just prioritizing community engagement. In our reporting, you shouldn't just be going to communities for sources, right? You should, you know, just be speaking with them about everything that's going on and any innovation, highlight that innovation, right? Don't just go in if there's a fire or a crime. So, all of these different tenets to upholding an, an industry that really. Prioritizes the wellness of reporters of color. I think Free Press is really doing a fantastic job. And so I really admire them for
1: that. So that ends our show today. Hey, Adriana and JD, thank you so much for joining us. This was a great conversation. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for
2: listening
0: to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at Journalism and you can email us at journalism salute at gmail.com.